Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Certainly have a lot to discuss. We mentioned briefly on the program yesterday the ongoing threat of a railroad strike. We're going to dig a little deeper into that with Max Fisher, Chief Economist of the National Grain and Feed Association, here in Segment 2. And then in Segment 3, we're going to dig into one of those commodities that needs that Mississippi River, needs the rail system functioning, and that's fertilizer. Josh Linville, the Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX, will be joining us in Segment 3 to dig through what factors are moving that market here as we head into winter. And we're going to close the show with a conversation with our friend Robert White. He's the Director of Industry Relations at the Renewable Fuels Association, and he works with those retailers who are looking to add ethanol and various different blend capacities. We're going to see how that industry has changed over the past few years and what excitement retailers have about these products heading into 2023. Before we do all of that, however, we are going to take a look at the protein sector. Joining us to talk cattle markets, hog markets, everything else that is delicious is Mr. Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. I want to take our focus back to the tail end of last week, Dennis. We got the November cattle on feed report. More bullish attitudes, it seemed like, coming from the USDA. Give us the rundown on that cattle on feed. How were total numbers? Yeah, well, on feed numbers are now down 2% from a year ago. Placements in October, Mike, were record small. Uh, for the month of October, uh, going back as far as the data runs, which I think is clear back to 1996. Uh, October is a really important placement month. Typically, uh, placements in the fall are large, and uh, not so the case uh, with the with the placements, you know, way below the five-year average, and as I indicated, record small. Placements of uh, eight-weight cattle were down almost 12%. Uh, so the the industry is just running into a brick wall as far as far as finding cattle to place. On the marketing part of the report, marketings were 101 percent of a year ago. So uh, the math is real bullish as far as the the, the production potential here. Uh, it looks like uh, beef production indeed will be dropping here uh, fairly shortly. Dennis, you mentioned October is a big month for placements. Can you tell us seasonally how does this month compare? Record small, but is October traditionally when these uh, these numbers do start to decline? Oh, well, typically no. You you see uh, you can see active placements all fall into the November time frame even. So so this is a, a atypical to see see the downturn in the placements uh, uh, during the October time frame. And uh, like I said, it was a bullish surprise, and uh, futures gapped higher yesterday in response. Uh, all contracts gapped higher. The only contract that pulled back and filled the gap was the December contract, the front month. Prices have been soft so far today, but I don't think any of the other gaps have been filled as of this moment. Uh, so the rule of thumb, according to myself anyway, is if you go three days without filling the gaps, it's a pretty bullish indication. So we'll see what happens. All right. So we're on day two of not yet filling that gap completely. Dennis, take our focus, take your focus, if you would, down to the, the feeder cattle market. With this type of change coming, the lack of eight-weight steers moving into pens right now, how does that set that feeder market up here heading into winter? Yeah, well, the November, or correction, the January feeders uh, closed above 182 yesterday. And to me, that's a confirmation of a bottom in the feeder cattle market. Now, the, the feeders have been constrained, or they've been hobbled so far this fall by the uh, elevated price of feeds, specifically the corn market. So that's presented a lot of problems for the feeder cattle market here and probably will continue to be the case because uh, we are expecting uh, feed prices to remain elevated uh, into the uh, growing season, the U.S. growing season next spring. But uh, you, you have to believe, or I do believe, that feeders are poised to show additional strength here. 
kind of riding the back of a, a rising cash steer market and falling beef production. Certainly should be some tailwinds for that market. Dennis, one of the things that I know you have been tracking is the difference, the spread between choice cuts of beef and select cuts. And we have seen that really providing some decent information this year. What's that spread up to nowadays? Well, the spread has uh, pulled back, which is fairly normal for this time of the year. It's around $22 to $23. Of course, that's choice over the select. So it's uh, cooled off quite a bit, although the grading remains very challenging, uh, especially in Texas. The grading is very poor as far as uh, uh, prime and choice beef. Uh, there's a real shortage there, despite the, the very aggressive slaughter pace. Uh, packers just cannot seem to find enough uh, prime and choice type beef. Dennis, at, in the cash market, is that skewing the grids at all for cattle heading into slaughter? Do we get to see that sort of data from these packing facilities, or is that kept just between the, the packer and the cattle owner? Well, there's a lot of data that we do not have a privilege to. So, you know, we're able to track the negotiated volume of trade. Uh, a lot of the formulas uh, are, are not uh, not posted or not made public. So there's a lot of information that is not widely available. Uh, but, the of course, the cash steer market, the negotiated price has been edging higher, uh, very active negotiated volume last week, over 90,000 new highs in the cash market, uh, new highs for the year, and the highest price being paid since 2015. So the, the cash steer markets are strong and very likely going to remain strong. Dennis, you mentioned highest price since 2015, and I can think a lot of people who were in the cattle business back in 2014, 2015 can remember those two years as periods of ridiculous profitability for most cow-calf producers and feedlot operators. Is there the potential that we're heading back into that direction for 2023? Oh, yeah, I expect the market to, to be a powerful, strong. We're going to experience, Mike, something that very few in the industry uh, have experienced, and that's a decline in total beef production next year, uh, down over 7%, could be down as much as 8%, uh, depending upon cattle weights. But, uh, Mike, we've not seen or experienced a, a drop in production year over year like this since 1979. And how many beef producers, feedlot managers, cow-calf guys, uh, traders were around in 1979? Probably not very many. No, not too many at all, Dennis. So this is gearing up. This is some powerful excitement for the cattle market. Do you think this is going to strike here after we get to the first quarter of 23? Well, I, I think it's... Uh, the, the timing on the whole thing is, is very debatable. A, a lot of people I, I discuss with are not looking for a major problem until the uh, third quarter of 2023. Uh, I can't file right. it up, up much quicker than that. I, I think the, the situation and the futures market is, is anticipatory in nature. They're going to anticipate this uh, and, and not wait around to see what happens in the third quarter. So I'm looking It'll for be watching now. Packers want the cattle now. They're still profitable. It's All right. Process. Thanks, Dennis. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. 
Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We will be having a conversation about the ongoing rail issues here with Max Fisher of the National Grain and Feed Association here in just a moment. We're getting him locked down right now, folks. But in the meantime, we do have some other news that I did want to be sure that we covered. We touched about it briefly there with Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services. We continue to see that downturn happen in the number of U.S. cattle out there on pasture. Don Close, our friend uh, with Terrain Ag, we spoke with last week, mentioned, similar to Dennis, we are seeing the same thing we saw develop in 2013 and 2014, only Don mentioned that this time, we are doing it on steroids. And he's talking, of course, about the cow liquidation we are seeing in response to the drought across the country in prairie areas. We do also have some news here on the African swine fever front. Of course, this is a story we have been following for a while, and uh, this actually is coming from Canada. The uh, Canadian pork industry is getting concerned about ASF, just as the American pork industry and the uh, the Canadian folks have been able to push the Canadian government to set aside some funding for a new program. Now, this happened back in August. Of course, government programs are slow to get rocking and rolling. They developed this program back in August to support biosecurity assessments and improvements. Of course, on this program, we talk monthly with our friends from the Swine Health Information Center about those very same issues here for the U.S. herd. And we see the Canadians now striving to put the, the same type of program into position. Now, just like the United States, African swine fever has never been detected. But since 2018, as we've seen it spread across Asia, Europe, and the Caribbean, notably in the Dominican Republic, which is the first time we've seen it break here in the Western Hemisphere, the Canadians, and just as everyone else, would like to keep it completely out of their herds because of the damage it can do to pork exports. American pork definitely relies on the export business, but Canadian pork, perhaps even more so with the United States being one of their largest customers, Canadian pork exports account for 70% of total 
Canadian pork con uh, production. So they are exporting quite a bit. So an African swine fever outbreak that impacts their ability to export would certainly be a concern. Well, I suppose if we're talking processing, be it pork, beef, or poultry, it's all worth discussing. And right now, we've got another update here in a chicken antitrust case. Folks, we have seen these antitrust discussions, well, happening for quite some time, notably in both the pork and chicken spaces. In this case, this was a lawsuit between Chick-fil-A and Tyson Foods. So now Chick-fil-A alleged that uh, Tyson was, was perhaps doing some price fixing, and they took this to court back in, uh, they were alleging this happened in years 2012 through 2019. Tyson says, or excuse me, Chick-fil-A rather says that uh, they believe that the sailor of broiler chicken products to Chick-fil-A from Tyson perhaps could have been inflated in that time period. Now this has been pending in the in the law since uh, 2019, and after several years of back and forth and a slow roll in order to get this case in front of a judge, the two parties have announced that they are going to settle. Now we don't have too many details on the announcement quite yet. However, they do say it dovetails with the quote conditional leniency that Tyson has already received from the antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice, and. Uh, We'll see if we can get more information. The one thing we do know from this, this settlement so far is that both Chick-fil-A and Tyson have agreed to pay their own legal fees and costs with regard to the matter. So it sounds like it is probably a fairly friendly um, agreement that uh, that these folks are putting together. So we are still working to get Max Fisher on the line here, but I do want to provide a little bit of information on the strike updates while we get him locked in. Folks, so we've talked about this off and on for the better part of six months here on this program. Our friend Mike Steenhook at the Soy Transportation Coalition highlighted us, highlighted the risks rather in the freight rail transportation system earlier this year, and we have seen those risks continue to explode. Notably, train workers, just about 112,000 or 120,000 workers rather, have been operating without a contract since 2020. The employees have been pushing for, in addition to greater income, of course, is key in a contract negotiation, they've also been pushing for increased sick time and increased leave. And this has been the key fight between the workers and the Class 1 railroads. Employment to Class 1 railroads has collapsed since pre-COVID. This was already a trend in place as the railroads were finding additional efficiencies using data and using electronic train monitoring systems. They were able to scale back the number of folks they needed actually riding the rails in order to get these trains moved. Then when COVID happened and everything shut down in those first two weeks, the railroads assumed that their capacities were going to lighten up and they let a lot of folks go. Since that time, freight transported on the rail system has exploded and the railroads have been working to do it with the same number of employees which means they have been working those employees very very hard according to the union representatives and those employees want a break now the legal agreement that was come up with between the Biden administration the class one railroads and the unions back in September included a big pay bump for any of the groups that sign on to the deal. There was back pay going back several years and roughly it's, it's about a $16,000 bonus on average that employees would receive if they ratified the deal. However, the proposed deal did not come with any changes to sick leave or more generally, more favorable HR policies with regard to when you're going to work and how off are your off days. So these employees, several unions, four of the 12 to be exact, have now voted to not ratify this deal. We do have the votes back from all the unions. The biggest union, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, voted yesterday just by the slimmest of margins to approve the agreement. And Smart TD, the union representing sheet metal workers in the transportation division, the second largest union that was uh, we were waiting on a vote from, voted yesterday by the slimmest of margins, one might say, to not ratify the deal. So now all of these groups will go back effectively to the bargaining table. There has been a hold put on place for any strike activity through December 4th at the earliest, which means we're not going to have a shutdown of the rails here in the next two weeks. That is 
I guess, as guaranteed as a guarantee we can get when we're talking about people's livelihoods. But after that, what's going to happen? After this deal had been rejected by the largest rail unions, now the remaining four will get together and they will try to renegotiate the sticking points in this deal. Now, so far, we have not heard any response from the Class 1 railroads with regard to the ability to provide more consistency in staffing or more paid time off. So where this goes from here remains to be seen. No doubt the ag industry is grappling with this uncertainty, and it couldn't come at a worse time because, of course, this is harvest season. We are seeing lots of grain being moved on the railways right now. It's being moved out east. If we're talking, excuse me, in the corn side of the market, we are seeing a lot of corn moved by rail from the eastern corn belt, Ohio, Illinois, Iowa, and it is trying to make its way to those corn deficit places, notably in the western belt across Kansas and uh, across parts of Nebraska and Oklahoma. In the meantime, we've got all of this fertilizer that we are trying to bring into this country, and we'll have that discussion with Josh Linville here in just a few moments on the program. But with the slowdown in the Mississippi River, with the low water levels we are seeing throughout truly the entire inland waterway system, the pressure that could be put on railroads as we head into this December timeframe could be quite profound. As we've seen so far, the moves from river to rail have been slow because the Mississippi has still been open. But as we were speaking with John Baranek on the program yesterday, the outlook doesn't exist for more rain in a large-scale, sustained way in order to help refill that Mississippi River for the foreseeable future. So the concerns in the head ahead from a supply chain perspective are the ongoing dryness in the Mississippi and how that could impact basis up and down the river levels, not to mention how it could impact our grain and oilseed exports. And, of course, this strike situation on the railroads. We will continue to be following this deal. We will get uh, an update here from our friend Max Fisher over at the National Grain and Feed Association. They have been very, very diligent over the past several months pushing the folks in Washington, D.C. to try to find some kind of a solution. But, of course, those solutions can be tough to put together when we're dealing with such a complex issue that has such profound ramifications for so many different people across this country. No doubt, the railway strike, the nine unions that have come to an agreement on terms, this will be shaping market movement for the weeks ahead. And, folks, as I mentioned, it will be shaping fertilizer pricing and availability. When AOA returns, we'll be checking in with our friend Josh Linville, the vice president of fertilizer over at StoneX, about what that industry is seeing so far here in 2022. Stick around for more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. With harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, what are some growers in your region considering as you look ahead to the 23 season? Well, I recommend that folks plan for normal in more ways than one. Plan for normal in terms of maturity. Um, overall, the farmers that switched to early maturities this year, they left some bushels on the table. So for 2023, plant your normal maturity range, but uh, don't early it up because you'll lose bush bushels. But also be careful not to go too long in maturity uh, because an early frost can really ding that late corn, especially when planted out of zone. And with great genetics at our channel lineup, uh, we have a diverse portfolio that can cover just about every acre. From that was channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the trade on Tuesday, we see mostly quietly mixed to higher trade in grains and oil seeds with cattle futures a little bit lower, hogs a little bit higher. More on that in a minute. 
Overall, both the commodity and equity sectors did erase early losses and firmed into the morning trade. The VIX slipping to its lowest level in nearly three months to trade near 22 this morning. As we see earnings reports offset China economic concerns for the most part in this market. The dollar pulling back to trade near 107.5. Crude oil prices more than 1% higher this morning after falling to their lowest level since early January on Monday. Grain and oil seeds again are fairly mixed as we just continue to drift into the holiday period. Prices firming into the morning, but actual fundamental news remains slow. U.S. markets will be closed on Thursday for Thanksgiving with just a low-volume shortened trading day expected on Friday. Now, headlines are still the primary drivers of these markets, but the headlines are slowing as we approach the end of the calendar year. One of the biggest things we'll be watching is what happens with the potential railroad strike as four of the 12 unions have voted no on the latest agreement. The White House on Monday made it clear that a railroad shutdown is unacceptable to President Joe Biden as agricultural groups and other businesses lobby to continue to clamor for Congress to step in. We'll have to see what happens there and if that has any impact on the markets. We're also watching South American weather here for the next couple of weeks ahead and also what's going on in the Black Sea region. Overall, as we look at grains and oil seeds, we're mainly unchanged up around three in corn. We're a little bit higher, four to five higher in beans, and we're mixed right around unchanged in all three wheat complexes. Cattle futures are down just moderately, 25 to 50 cents lower for the most part in live cattle, down around a dollar in feeder cattle with the hog trade up, uh, 50 cents to a dollar. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back, and thanks for making AOA a part of your day. Folks, we want to be a part of you planning ahead for your success here in the agricultural industry, and part of that is planning for those input cost expectations in 2023. Well, one of the largest input costs for many growers here in this next year is going to continue to be crop nutrients and fertilizer. Joining us for an update on that market is Josh Linville, the vice president of fertilizer over at StoneX. And Josh, thanks for making time to join us today. Absolutely. I, I had to do one or two more things before we got to the Thanksgiving break. So this, this checks a uh, box for me. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. We want to make sure you are earning your money, Josh. Let's talk about this urea market. That's been one of the ones that's been more volatile here over this past year. What are urea prices up to as we head into December 2022? It's actually here uh, recently been sliding. Uh, it kind of goes against a lot of what the expectations were for the marketplace. To a certain extent, myself included there. Uh, a lot of things lined up. Thought prices were going to continue to hold, continue to press higher. But, you know, with uh, the situation in Europe improving, natural gas prices falling off from uh, their all-time highs and letting uh, production rates come back online, Chinese exports uh, continuing to pick up slightly, things are improving. Uh, so price ideas have been sliding. It's not getting as cheap as what it was a couple years ago, obviously. But compared to where it was back in March, April, much, much better. That is good to hear. You know, I know you were tracking that European nitrogen production slowdown here over this past summer. Josh, are those plants turning back on over there? Some of them are. Uh, now, we don't believe that everything is turning back on. And even the ones that are turning back on, we're not so confident that it's going to be 100% operating capacity. Uh, a lot of these plants are older. They've been around for a very long time. 
So if they don't make the decision to restart this before these cold, harsh winter months come in, these things may never restart again. So a lot of these plants have sat there and said, listen, you know, the natural gas cost is a third of what it had gotten up to. And yeah, even if we're going to restart this thing and lose a little bit of money on the front side, at least it gets back to operational and we know we're going to continue to have this asset. We won't run the risk of losing it. So yeah, we are having production turn back on and that has been a big catalyst for these prices turning back around. All right, Josh. Well, that is certainly good to hear. Over on this side of the pond, those prices at New Orleans continue to slide down here recently. Is there any indication that the slide could continue? It seems like it's start. I, I want to say it, there's a possibility it can continue. But the unfortunate part is, if it does continue, I don't think the farmers across the Midwest are going to see it. And automatically, people are obviously going to get upset and say, SBS, they're holding this from us. Well, unfortunately, the big talking point that's not being talked about enough in the fertilizer sector is this river situation, this rail strike situation. Logistically, we are struggling more than we ever have. Uh, it is costing more to move product from point A to point B. And a lot of the reason why we've seen NOLA pricing, the Gulf of Mexico pricing under pressure, is because they can't move barges north and they're being forced to pay these high storage costs per day, well, those things build up. And these uh, position owners are sitting there saying, listen, I would rather sell to a little bit of a loss, get rid of it today, than to continue to have to hold on to this and eat that daily cost. Yeah, no, that certainly makes sense, Josh. And I'm wondering, as you see this spread, what is the current position of fertilizer here in this country? As you look ahead to 2023, are we still needing a lot to come up the river? It's, it depends on the product. When we look at phosphate and potash, um, so far the fall demand in areas has been very good, other areas not so good. So it's a little bit of a mix there. We will need a resupply during the winter time, but it's not an insurmountable amount. Um, looking at urea, yeah, we have a lot that we need to move up the river. Uh, we had expected we need to move, oh, 5.5 million ton, <laughs> excuse me, all of this uh, fertilizer year. We're not very far into that number. We've got a lot of work to do here January through June. So, Josh, how is the fertilizer industry grappling with this? You mentioned the storage costs are massive if they're sitting down there waiting to load a barge. Are they starting to position things for rail to move it north, or is the industry just standing pat right now and hoping we get some moisture? Well, unfortunately, uh, there's only so much rail that can be done. Uh, when you look at it, rail capacity is limited. And fertilizer is not what I would say considered a top-tier commodity for them. When you look at it, what they want to focus on is oil and coal and these things that move every single day. Fertilizer is something they like to move, but it's just not as, as good as what we see on some of the other products. So the capacity just isn't there like it might be on the other stuff. Um, they're doing everything they can. Rail is taking up whatever difference they can, but it's just it, there's only so much to be done. So, Josh, I think uh, let's let's keep the focus here on the urea on the end side for growers looking ahead for that that spring requirement that they need on their operation. What should they be doing today to try and make sure they can source the product when they need it next spring? A big, big thing we've been talking about this whole cycle. We need to continue to talk to our suppliers. And I realize that's something that goes in the face of what a lot of farmers like to do at growing up in a farming family. Exact same thing. But at the end of the day, as worried as we are about prices, that retailer, that co-op is the exact same way. But they're buying so many more tons because they're buying it for all the farmer, all the farmland around them. There is a tremendous amount of price risk that's sitting out there. So our biggest thing is we need to continue to talk to our supplier. And it's not so much that it's, okay, you've got to walk in with the check. You've got to buy it right now. Although that would help cement and make sure that product is sitting there. But what I mean is at least give them the information of what they need on what to buy and when to buy it and have at least some sort of a game plan, have some sort of a battle plan on how to approach this spring. You know, these guys are going to be sitting there taking a lot of risk out there. Uh, a little bit more information can make them feel a little bit more comfortable about buying products that they may, they may not be willing to otherwise. Get out there, have those conversations early and often with your suppliers, Josh. I mean, you've mentioned that time and time again, and I think it just continues to grow in importance as we watch these risks pile up here for the industry. Right. And unfortunately, I think it's something that's going to continue to happen here for a while. Uh, I don't think this is something that's going to go away anytime soon. So it's, 
yeah, it's just something we're going to have to continue. It's, uh, it's, I think, here for the next few years, volatility. Price risk is going to continue to be a thing. All right, it certainly is. And, of course, we're going to have ongoing black swan events, the unanticipated things that can throw a wrench into our plans. And I know on the phosphate uh, the side, we saw Hurricane it's Irma and Nicole both come across Florida. Josh, did that impact U.S. production much? Fortunately, no, not nearly as much as what we were worried about. Uh, when we first started seeing some of those lines, the one that went up, uh, it was originally going to go through Tampa. If you look at the devastation that storm caused on uh, Fort Myer just south of there, imagine had that been Mosaic's phosphate loading ports. If it had completely wiped that out, the phosphate market looks tremendously different than what it does today. But ultimately, very little impact, very little uh, loss of production there. I mean, it, it, that is a bullet that the market will never fully appreciate what it missed. Yeah, really dodged one there. On the end production side, you mentioned plants coming back online in Europe as that natural gas price comes down. Natural gas exploded in price here in this country, but never to the heights we saw in Europe. Josh, what's happened to domestic nitrogen production? Nothing. Uh, domestically, these producers are producing every single ton they can. Their margins are still phenomenal. And when the natural gas price rises, let's say it goes from 3 to $5, well, they're just not making as much money. Don't worry, they're still making money. So their production rate is as high as humanly possible. They're not going to miss this opportunity. And even with the supply chain disruptions, even with the rail situation, the weather, most of what those plants are relying on, I assume, is pipelined in, right? Uh, for the, uh, the natural gas. Yes. Yeah. All right. So yeah. hopefully that can continue to run. Josh, you mentioned earlier that we're seeing exports resume out of China and they're starting to pick up. Tell us which products is China starting to loosen up on here a little bit. What we've seen is urea and phosphate, uh, two products. We've seen the price falling quite a bit on. So, uh, last fall, fall of 21, uh, the Chinese government came out and said no more exports. Global supplies are very tight. Global prices are very high. We are going to protect our Chinese farmers by blocking exports. And, and they held true to that. We saw their exports on both products fall substantially. June, July, they started to soften that stance. Now, they're not back to normal levels. They're still not back to what we would consider you know, 100% exports. But with many people in the marketplace not expecting them to come back at all, any sort of a return is seen as something good. Those are supplies that were not expected. All right, that is welcome to have them back on the market. Josh, last time we had you on, India had stepped into the fertilizer market in a way we hadn't seen much before. And I'm wondering, is India still in here? And what other sort of changes are you seeing on the global demand side for fertilizer? Yeah, so India is actually just wrapping up a second shock tender. Uh, they came out a, a little while ago and stating we need to buy 1.5 million ton. And ultimately, they ended up buying 1.5 million ton. Everybody thought that, hey, these guys are going to be good. We won't see them again until sometime December. Well, all of a sudden, they jumped in a week or two later very, very quickly and said, we're looking for another million ton. Not only did they get their million, they ended up buying another 1.44 million ton. Uh, so they bought a lot of tons here in a very short amount of time. Now, there is one part of the marketplace that expects to see a third one come here fairly soon, see them take advantage of the lower world prices. Uh, there's another block that sits there and says, well, they're very well suited right now. They can wait till January, maybe even February, before they need their next round. Um, unfortunately, with India, a lot of the times we got to wait and see what they say. All right. And when they jump in, it turns out they can jump in in a big way. Folks, we have been speaking with Josh Linville today. He is the vice president of fertilizer over at Stonex. And Josh, from a farmer's perspective, when will this river thing hit the bottom line? Is it a month or two from now? It's hard to say. Um, this is a situation we've never had to deal with. Um, you know, this is a thing that's been very, in the history of I've ever seen it, we've never seen it quite as bad. So it's very hard to say. Lots of uncertainty here, folks, as we look to the future. Again, that's Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at Stonex. And Josh, thanks for joining us today on the show. Absolutely. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to take a look at the retail adoption of E15 with our friend Robert White with the Renewable Fuel Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people 
lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Megan Woolley. She's Senior Director of Stewardship at CHS, and she serves as the president of the CHS Foundation. We're going to talk about the work the foundation does. Megan, what areas of giving does the foundation focus on? So we focus on three main areas, cooperative education, leadership programs, and university partnerships. And we think of our support on a continuum, so reaching the future of ag at all ages. We start with elementary school youth through partnerships with National Ag in the Classroom and state cooperative camps. We reach middle and high school students through 4-H and FFA. And then once students are in college, we're supporting them through scholarships and curriculum at 25 different partner colleges and universities. Wow, Megan, I understand this is the first year for the foundation to be supporting grants to teachers. Can you tell us why that's an important issue? It is. Ag teacher recruitment and retention has been a major focus for the CHS Foundation for several years through our partnership with the National Teach Ag Campaign. And we recognize that ag teachers are often the first introduction most students have to agriculture and thus the important roles that these teachers can play in a student's life. So typically we've supported teachers through state and national partnerships, but with it being our 75th anniversary this year, we wanted to try something a little bit different. And I'm really excited to share that we're awarding $75,000 directly to teachers. So we are really excited about the opportunity to support teachers directly in all the great work that they do. That is fantastic. Folks, we've been talking with Megan Woolley. She's the Senior Director of Stewardship at CHS and serves as president of the CHS Foundation. Megan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. And thanks to you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're going to turn our focus to biofuels next. We're going to be speaking with our friend Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations over at the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, before we get into how retailers are approaching the biofuels industry here in 2022, Robert, I want to talk about a joint letter that was signed by the ethanol industry, many groups in the ag industry, and importantly, the American Petroleum Institute, one of the, the voices of America's fossil fuel industry. They've all come together, Robert, for the first time ever to sign a letter. What are they advocating for? Well, it's a nationwide approach to fixing the summertime rule around E15 that we've had a problem with and been struggling with uh, for 10 years now. So it's an exciting announcement, exciting time. We hope the legislation gets filed soon. And with that a laundry list of supporters from oil, ag, and ethanol, we hope it goes through quickly. Absolutely. Robert, what was it that has brought the oil industry onto the side of ethanol here when it comes to E15? Well, there's a couple of things and, and obviously personal opinions here, but it's the notion that liquid fuels need to decarbonize. So more ethanol will allow them to do that and hopefully allow liquid fuels to continue on as more and more people uh, see EVs as the only option going forward. And then, of course, the Midwest governor's effort where several uh, Midwest governors were opting out of the E10 waiver and sort of creating a, a market where refiners would have to lower the RVP of all fuel, not just for E15, but all fuel this coming summer. So in, it was in their best interest to come to the table, obviously. Uh, we think that E15 will, again, help lower prices going into the future, and that's good news for everyone, including consumers. It certainly is. And Robert, now here I want to talk about how those consumers are accessing the higher blends of ethanol. We've seen a tremendous push towards increasing biofuel availability across the country. And I know you work with a lot of retailers here across the country. And I'm curious, how has the conversation around E85 and E15 changed over the past year? Is there enthusiasm for the product growing? Well, this year uh, couldn't have been any more of a highlight for the higher blends. You know, that it was unfortunate events like the Ukraine and shortage of gasoline uh, that led to these high fuel prices, which again highlighted the opportunity of E15 and E85 to save consumers money. So we did see an uptick in consumers learning about E15 and E85 for the first time. We have seen an uptick in consumption and in turn an uptick in availability because more retailers are looking at the options, especially if their competitor across the street is offering something a dime, 20 cents, 50 cents, maybe even E85 at a dollar plus more discount. Absolutely. And I imagine when they see that happening, they want to get into the game. And I know that we saw in the Inflation Reduction Act a number of tax credits for biofuel producers. Robert, was there anything in there for retailers to encourage higher blend adoption? There was, and it was really an extension uh, by another name of the HBIT program that USDA has had for a number of years now. In fact, the uh, latest round of HBIP funding was over $100 million, and the application window closed last night. So we're fresh on the topic here. But there was $500 million in additional money for infrastructure for ethanol, biodiesel, uh, everything from retailers to rail to maritime. There's a lot of opportunities for ethanol in particular, and we're hopeful that as early as next summer, that next round of HBIP, 100 plus million again, maybe as close, maybe as much as 200 million next summer, again, to further ramp up the availability of these higher blends so more consumers can take advantage of them. That is fantastic. Got those applications in $500 million worth of uh, improved infrastructure should certainly go some ways in helping get more consumers to that biofuel. Robert, I'm curious about geographic impact. We talked earlier this year about the price of E85 in California and how much more cheaper it was compared to conventional fuel. I imagine California has been a hot spot. What other states have proven to be highly receptive to ethanol here in this past year? 
Well, you're really seeing it anywhere it's available. I mean, I, I look to the example of sheets. Uh, they are predominantly in the East Coast region as far west as Ohio. They did summer promotions around the 4th of July, and yesterday they just announced for a week-long uh, promotion around Thanksgiving, they're selling E15 for $1.99, Mike. And that is a 52% discount in some cases to E10 throughout their 368 stations that cover North Carolina, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. And so where these new stations are opening up, even if it's E85, it's many times for the first time in those communities. So you have people that may have had a flex fuel vehicle for a number of years but never had seen or had the opportunity to use E85. And then when you see that E15 price, of course you're pulling in. Of course you're asking if you can use it. And with 96% of the vehicles on the road today approved for E15, good chance you are uh, eligible to do that and obviously at a strong discount. Yes, that is the case. There is that strong discount driving consumer behavior. Robert, looking ahead to this next summer, of course, we don't yet have E15 approved for year-round sale, although that letter hopefully is going to push in that direction. In the meantime, how are retailers grappling with us with this uncertainty? This winter, do you expect them to sit on their hands and wait to see if that legislation moves forward? Well, I, I think we're seeing a lot of previous year's grant programs putting steel into the ground now. So I do expect that increase in availability to continue. But there are plenty that are wondering when that resolution will come. But I talked to many, I was out at the Sigma annual conference in California two weeks ago, and many retailers believe that between the Midwest governor's approach, between this API collective approach that you just heard about this morning, that we will get this done in time, whether it's next summer or the following. But our goal is definitely set on uh, May 1st of 2023 to have this uh, put to bed once and for all, and E15 can finally have a level playing field. All right, May 5th, May 1st, 2023, we'll be looking for that confirmation. Folks, we have been talking with Robert Wright, Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations there at the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll dig into more issues here in agriculture, and we'll talk specifically about rural health and the outcomes happening there. We'll see you then for more AOA on tomorrow's show. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. With harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, what are some growers in your region considering as you look ahead to the 23 season? Well, I recommend that folks plan for normal in more ways than one. Plan for normal in terms of maturity. Um, overall, the farmers that switched to early maturities this year, they left some bushels on the table. So for 2023, plant your normal maturity range, but uh, don't early it up because you lose bush bushels, but also be careful not to go too long in maturity uh, because an early frost can really ding that late corn, especially when planted out of zone. And with great genetics at our channel lineup, uh, we have a diverse portfolio that can cover just about every acre. From that was channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.